right. Uh, the, the question probably arises in terms of if I've been crucified with Christ, if I've been buried, if I've been raised again, and Christ is in me, and he's made me holy and righteous, pure and so on, if that's true, then why do I still sin? And where does this law mentality come into? And I think if we look through Romans chapter 7, uh, that you read at lunchtime here, um, if we look through it, we'll get a picture of what the law does and how it incites us to sin. Okay, So if we can just start at Romans 7 and kind of walk through it, uh, and then I'll add different uh, illustrations so on to try to make it clear. But for instance, Romans 7 and verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. And then he illustrates it this way. He says, for, for the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. Now, he's not trying to teach here right or wrong things about marriage and divorce and so on. He's just using marriage as an illustration of a spiritual truth here. So he says, so then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So in other words, if her husband, if she's married and her husband's alive and, and uh, she joins herself up, marries somebody who unites herself physically with, with another man, she's going to be called an adulteress. She's committed adultery. If her husband dies, she's free to marry somebody else, and it's not a problem. Then he switches in verse 4 to illustrate the spiritual truth of it. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Now, how is it that we died to the law through the body of Christ? Uh, through our death with Jesus exactly this is chapter 7 and it follows chapter 6 and chapter 6 verse 6 said we were crucified with Christ so yeah we died to the law through the body of Christ when we were crucified and then he says that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead so that we might be married to Christ right. now picture this way in the, in the original illustration my left hand represents the husband my right hand represents the wife. And he says, here's a husband and wife married. If the wife goes out and joins herself to somebody else, she'd be called an adulteress. But if this husband dies, then here's the wife all alone. She's free to marry somebody else. Yes. And it's not adultery. Right. Okay. But then he, he uses it as a spiritual realm. Only in this case, the husband, the law doesn't die. In this case, the wife dies. The law is still alive, mm -hmm. but the wife dies in verse 4 because it says you were made to die. Now, logically speaking, we'd say, well, she couldn't be married to somebody else. She'd be, she's dead. And no logical man would marry her. She's dead. <laughs> but in the spiritual sense, we don't remain dead. We are resurrected with Christ. Now, not resurrected as the same old person, same old sinful spirit we used to have. Because if that's the case, it's our, our old man that unites us to the law. So if it's our old man that unites us to the law, then to be raised up as the same old person wouldn't do me any good. So I'm raised up as a new creature, no longer married to the law. Now I'm free to be married to Christ. Okay. So he tries to use that illustration to show how we died 
we're no longer in bondage to this law. We're now in bondage, not really bondage, we're now in union with Christ. And so we can bear fruit uh, for life and not fruit for death. Now, verse 5 says this, For while we were in the flesh, not a Christian, still in the flesh, he says this, The sinful passions which were aroused by the law. What is it that aroused sinful passions? The law. The law, okay. So sinful passions are aroused by the law, and they were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law. There's the, how did we get released? By being crucified to it. And that's where salvation takes place in this in this chapter. For now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. We died to it. Law didn't die, we died. So that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then, verse 7? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Because it's a tutor. Remember in Galatians, mm-hmm. it talks about it being a tutor. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, notice verse uh, 8. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment. Where did sin get opportunity? Through the law. The commandment. Through the commandment, through the law. And it produced in me coveting of every kind. Then he says this. For apart from the law, sin is dead. If there's no law, what happens to sin? No consciousness of it if there's no law. Yeah, there's, there's no. just dead. There's no power. I think by dead it means it's powerless. The reason I would say that is in over in chapter 6 and verse 6, he says this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. Now that done away with, if you have a little margin area there on the number two, it would say uh, made powerless. Yes. Okay. So knowing this, that our old self, our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin, it identifies something here, our body of sin was made powerless that we should no longer be slaves to this sin, this body of sin. Okay? I want us to begin to think in terms of this body of sin. It's something, not just actions, but a body of sin, some entity. Okay? And it will define it more as we go on. So, apart from the law, sin is dead. Then verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. Now, what is it that gave life to sin? Commandment. Yeah, okay. The law, the commandment, gave life to it. Now, again, I think it empowered it. When it says it became alive, I think it means it empowered it. Okay, like Romans 6.6 was talking about. And then I died. Now, it's not referring to salvation either. Because I believe it's referring to the, the essence of... I, I died to the, to the power of Christ in me. I no longer have his life living out through me. Okay, still saved and everything. Um, but I've, I've died to the power of Christ in me. Galatians chapter, is it chapter? Uh, in other words, we're meaning that we're trying to live back under the law again, under a commandment, and we die because yeah. we're focused on the commandment. Yes. yes. Focusing on commandment will produce death in us. That's true. Now, uh, verse 10. And this commandment, which was to result in life, you know, originally, if you could live up to it, it produced life. 
but it proved a resultant in death for me. Right. Now, verse 11. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Now, that, that verse says, for sin, taking opportunity through the commandment. Notice in verse 8, what does it say? Sin, taking opportunity through the commandment. He repeats himself. Yes. Why would he repeat himself? Well, I imagine that body of sin is, is powerless, but it's still present. Okay. What, uh, real simple. Why do you repeat yourself to your kids? To make a point. Yeah. To emphasize. To emphasize. It, to right. get your point across. This is what's the this is the case here. And so you say sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through killing. It deceived because we tend to think if I can live up to these rules, then I'll be okay. I'll be acceptable. And we certainly want to be acceptable to God. But it deceives us thinking we can gain it when in reality we already have it. And it kills us when we try to gain something we've already had. Verse uh, 12. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? No, may it never be. Rather, it was sin, this body of sin, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. That through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now, if you relate to that, Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, And the law came in that the transgression might increase. The more more we focus on trying to meet the law, the more sin increases in our life. Exactly. The more struggles you have trying to measure up to and trying to perform. Okay. And that was the whole purpose. And that is a type of death, that that struggle. Well, you felt it. You felt that death. Yes. Trying to perform up to standards Mm -hmm. kills you. Yeah, it does, literally. Yeah. And so in trying to live up to these standards, what it does is it increases sin. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty six says, "And the power of sin is the law." So, in other words, this sin gets power from the law. It's like if you got a little flame, a little candle with a with a uh, it's lit, a little flame there, and you think, "Oh man, that's not good. That might burn something down. I'm going to put it out." So you grab a can of gas to douse it. Well, that's like trying to put out this sin, dousing it with law. It's like dousing a little flame with gas. You're in big trouble. Right. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, I would define law as basically anything I have to do to measure up to some sort of standard to be acceptable. A law is like do this to be blessed. To be blessed. Don't do that or you'll be cursed. So you got to do or don't do something or else there's some consequence, some terrible consequence, some punishment. And a law could be anything from Moses' law to uh, your parents' law to your church's law to your law. could be just your own personal law. I've got to perform this way. I've got to live up to this standard. Be acceptable to myself and or to God. Yes. Or both. Last sentence is just to yourself. Right. But or to God or to other people, 
I can't let myself think of obsessive thoughts because that'll say I'm not resting in Christ. Oh, there's a law that's put on yourself. And, and to illustrate how it works more, uh, one of our one of our counselors shared this story once that his uh, uncle had these kids over at his house and um, and uh, it was one of the boys' birthday parties. And he wanted them to enjoy themselves. And he had a sense of humor and everything in it. But he he told the boys, he said, look, you boys play here in the backyard and do whatever you want. Just enjoy yourself. Just have a good time. And it's so-and-so's birthday. You just do whatever you want. There's only one thing you can't do. And he said, now, don't spit in this flower bed. And the boys kind of think, wait a minute, what's so special about this flower bed? And so the fellow just said, well, you know, anything else you want to do, just enjoy yourself, just don't spit in the flower bed. So he goes in the house, and he's got this sense of humor, so he's kind of peeking out the window. And these boys are kind of looking around, everybody looks in the flower bed, and they wonder, what in the world's so special about that? And one of the braver boys looks around, and he goes, spits in the flower bed, and they all run. And it's like, why did they spit in the flower bed? Because this fella had said, here's a law you better not do, or something's going to happen. And they had to see it. If he'd never said it, nobody would have spit in the flower bed. That's what law does. It inflames, it incites sin. You can't put the, mat, the, the candle out with a candle and a gas. It's just going to inflame it all. It's going to grow out of control. But you can see in this first half of the chapter how he has set up this mentality of the law. Verse 5, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Verse 8, sin taking opportunity through the commandment. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Verse 9, the commandment came, sin became alive. Verse 11, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment. Verse 13, that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And he sets up that whole half of the chapter talking about the impact of law. Then you get to the second half of the chapter where we see the struggle. And most of us tend to look at the second half and just think, oh, what a terrible wretch I am. Things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I'm doing. Wretched man that I am. But they don't understand the second half is based on the first half of a law mentality. Verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. When I'm operating after the flesh, I am in bondage to the sin. Even though you are, in essence, not that person. That's right. And we're going to see that more as we go on here. But with that kind of trying to perform, trying to live up to these standards, then verse 15 comes. For that which I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Now, you notice what his true desire is? Yeah, to please God. He wants to do what's right. If we could set him free to do what he desires, we tend to, Christians tend to think, oh man, I'd want to go sin, sin, sin. No, that's not what it says here. Right. Verse 16, for, or, but if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. Then notice verse 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it. Now, how can he say that? I mean, that sounds like a cop-out. Right. I mean, is it the devil made me do it syndrome or what? But he says, so now, no longer am I the one doing it. 
no longer indicates at one point it was, was him. Yes. But it's not now. It's not the real me now. Mm-hmm. Well, before he was saved, what was his very nature? Flash, did yeah. It was his sinful yeah. nature, yeah. the spirit of the, the old man. It was by nature a sinner. Right. What Romans 5.19 said, for by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. It was his nature. But something changed. So now no longer am I the one doing it. So something changed. What happened was he got saved. He got crucified with Christ. He got buried, raised again. But he still ends up doing it. But he says, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. He's identifying something here. Now, he talked about it in verse 6 of chapter 6 when he says this body of sin. And in verse 8, he says of chapter 7, but sin taking opportunity. He says the sin which indwells me. Would it be fair for us to just call it indwelling sin? Yes. Okay. So he says it's no longer I that do it, but sin which indwells me. This indwelling sin, this body of sin. It's not me. Now, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now, he wants to clarify that. He says, that is in my flesh. And anytime I'm living with a law mentality, I'm living as though I'm walking and I'm living after the flesh. And nothing good dwells in me at that point in terms of my flesh. Mm -hmm. Then he says this, for the wishing is present in me. You see his desire. Mm -hmm. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. Now listen to what he says again in verse 20. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now he just said that in verse 17. Again, he repeats himself. He's saying, hey, we've got to get a hold of this. This is an important issue. Let me repeat myself. Mm-hmm. It is no longer I who's doing it, but this sin which dwells in me, this indwelling sin, used to be him, but is not any longer. He got saved. He's a new creature in Christ now. But he's got this sin which indwells him. In other words, this sin, in this, in this case, is trying to live up to the standard of God. Yeah. And that so, which is trying to live up to the standard of God is not, in essence, who you are, because that part is already holy. That's right. Already been crucified, buried, raised again as a new creature, holy and righteous, and so on. Now, it defines this sin that indwells us, indwelling sin, in verse 21. He says this, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Now, is he saying he's evil? No. No. But he is saying there's something, there's this principle of evil that's present in him. Then he goes even a little farther and he says, uh, I find then the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. So we've defined this sin, this indwelling sin as, and it's an unholy power of force that's in me, but not me. Or it's this principle of evil that's in me, the one who wishes to do good. <coughs> so he's holy, he's righteous, but he's got this thing in him. Now, this is the only definition in Scripture that you see of indwelling sin here, although it calls it a body of sin in Romans 6, 6, and we're going to see where it's located as we go on in this passage. I would define it this way more if I were going to be specific. I can't give you verses that prove this, though. I would see the indwelling sin as your old habits, your old rejections, your old ways of coping, the old emotions that you've experienced, 
the garbage you've, you've seen or heard, uh, the ways you've tried to cope, um, any anything that you've experienced in life gets recorded up here in the brain. Obsessive compulsiveness. Obsessive compulsiveness is part of your old programming, isn't it? Right. It's become it's become a habit. It's yeah. Become a, and that's part of your indwelling sin. Now your indwelling sin is unique to you, and my indwelling sin is unique to me. But they are both they both operate being inflamed by the law. Yes. Whenever I try to really do things right, but for God or for myself, I become compulsive. Yeah. I, I go back to that flesh pattern. Because it, it, the purpose is... I'm not free, obviously. The purpose is, is to try to gain that acceptance. And then you're living with a law. Yeah. And you can never rest. Right. So he goes on then to say, uh, verse 22... For I, kind of like I, the real me, joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, because God's written his law in our hearts. Yes. But I see a different law in the members of my body. So I would put this this old programming, all this old garbage, I would put it probably predominantly in the brain. Right. Recorded there. Yeah, right. all the old thought patterns, all the old programming, everything you've ever experienced is recorded here. Right. I would probably put it in the body, in the brain, because of what it says here, that it's in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. If I yield to it, I become a prisoner to it. Again, it puts it in my members, so I put it in the body. Okay. It's not who I am, but it's in me. Then he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, that word wretched, I used to think of it as, oh, sinful man that I am. But it's an emotion word that means yeah. miserable man. Yeah. Oh, I'm so I'm troubled. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in bondage <laughs> to this stuff. What a, what a miserable man I am. Right. Well, that's going to happen if you're living with a law mentality yes, trying to overcome it. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Now, we asked that question. Who will set me free? He's going to answer it in just a couple of verses. Verse 25, he starts the answer. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, kind of like saying I, the real me, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, if I'm operating after the flesh, I serve this law of sin. Mm -hmm. Even if I do that, remember, there's no chapter divisions. Uh -huh. Even if I serve this law of sin, there is therefore now no condemnation. I can confess it to God and know that I'm not condemned. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember the question in verse 24, who will set me free? Uh -huh. Verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin. That's already been done. All, my, all the improvements I need to have and be before God and before myself has been done. It's already been done, yeah. Um, so the law of sin and death is uh, to a great degree at least it's my performance and certainly in this case it sounds like his performance yeah if you if that's how he tried to perform to measure up to standards but it produces sin and death right now let me illustrate it with some some different ways <clears throat> a friend of ours when my wife was pregnant was pregnant along with her and uh, she went into labor prematurely and she knew something was wrong and so she um, went to the doctor, went to the hospital. They found out her appendix was ruptured. They had to do an emergency C-section, emergency appendectomy uh, to save her and the child. 
Uh, but when they sewed her up, they left a sponge in her. True story. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, because nurses and doctors are careful, they count their equipment. And they kept coming up one short on sponges. So they had to go back and take the sponge out. But let's say that they hadn't counted their, their equipment and they left it in there. This woman, maybe a couple days would have passed, and she she might have thought, gotten up out of bed, bent over, and felt something strange in her side. And she might have said, oh boy, there's something wrong with me. Well, what's the truth of it? Wasn't it something wrong with her? She had a foreign yeah. body in her. There was something in her that's not her right. that was giving her a problem. Now, it felt like her, and she didn't know the truth. You know, and that's like this sin that indwells us, indwelling sin. It's in us, but it's not us. It'll feel like us. It feels very much like us, but it's not us. Right. We are not simply creatures of memory. We have memories. We are by nature spiritual beings housed in a physical body with memories, but we are by nature spiritual beings who are holy and righteous. Or another way to illustrate it, if you've got a computer and you... Um, You've got a floppy disk that you're going to put in it, but there's garbage on the floppy disk. So you put the floppy disk in, you punch up the keys, and what comes up on the screen? Junk. Yeah, garbage, (laughs) junk. So you don't like that, and you think, oh, man, what a terrible machine, and you go get your baseball bat like my son would do, (laughs) and you beat the machine up. Yeah. I hope you don't. Wrong thing. But that's what we do with ourselves. Yes. We think, oh, man, look at all this garbage. What a terrible person I am. Boy, I got to get better. And so we beat up on ourselves and we beat up on ourselves. Yeah. And we think, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> we make a renewed vow, which is wrong. Which is a brand new law. We a put new law and we're back into the cycle. Yeah. And that's what Satan wants. Yeah. But to beat up on the computer is not the answer. The answer is take the floppy disk out and either get rid of it or reprogram it which is what God tells us to do. We, we have a renewing of the mind. Right. And, uh, and that's what we're to do with it. We can't take out the floppy disk. It's not quite that easy. But by faith, as we walk in truth, we have a renewing of the mind that takes place. Mm. And it talks about that later in chapter 8, about the mindset. That's right. That's right. Eight. eight controlled uh, by uh, the spirit. The mindset of, uh, of uh, sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. In other words, am I trusting in him that it's all done and that he'll live his life through us? Yeah. His peace and life. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> another way that I try to illustrate it sometimes. Um, you know how they train elephants? You know, you ever go to the circus? They prod them or something? Well, even before that. No. If you ever go to the circus and you see this elephant, um, you know, tied to this little stake in the ground, a rope around the elephant's ankle into the stake. Um well, when they, when they have that little baby elephant, it's a calf, they take that little elephant, they tie a big rope around his ankle, and they tie it to a big tree. And that little elephant just tugs and tugs and tugs and tugs, trying to get free. But the rope's too strong and the tree's too big. And he'll never be free with that. So finally, he gives up trying to be free because he knows he'll never be free. Well, then once he's quit tugging, and they see that he's consistently not tugging anymore. Then they take the rope off the tree and they tie it to a little stake in the ground. The elephant feels that little bit of tug. Remember, elephants never forget. So he remembers that I'm not free. I feel that rope around my ankle. 
But in reality, you know, he's grown up now. And in reality, he's tied to a little stake. And he's in bondage, not really to the stake, but to what he believes. And if we could go up to him and we could say to him, hey, elephant, don't you know you're really free? If you just pull on that stake, it'll come out. I mean, it feels like you're in bondage. But if you pulled on that stake, you'd find out it'd come out. Mm-hmm. You just start walking away. I mean, you're 4,000, 5,000 pounds. Pull on yeah. that little stake, it'll come out. Yeah. And if he pulls on it, it comes out and he can walk away. But guess what? If he stops walking, what does he feel around his ankle still? Still feel the rope. Still feel the rope. And, and if he never takes a step again, he's in bondage to a stake laying on the ground. And he's really in bondage to what he feels and believes. And, and you know, as he keeps walking, though, that slowly that rope frays and falls apart and the stake falls off. Maybe he only has the rope around his ankle. And if he doesn't take another step, he's in bondage to just a rope around his ankle attached to nothing. Mm-hmm. And yet that's what we do so often, too is we, we are in bondage to what we believe and what we feel. We base our beliefs on what we feel. Right. Oh, what a wretch I am. I feel so miserable, so un- unworthy. So yeah. I believe it. Yeah. So I have to go out and perform. And the have to is the law. Yes. And that just, it just inflames things and I get, and, and I end up in bondage more and more to it. But if I won't believe that lie, then you can walk in freedom. You won't have to perform. And it's that, and you won't feel like you have to perform the whole time. Those emotions will change, yes. And as um, as I uh, believe the truth, as I walk in the truth, there is that renewing of the mind that takes place. Uh, I begin to realize, hey, this is who I am. I don't want to do these things. You know, I want to follow God. I am holy, even if I don't follow. There's another illustration I wanted to use with it. Let me illustrate it this way. We used this before. So there's this flower shop around the corner. Right. And uh, I, I said, well, hey, if when we're done here, you go to that flower shop and you steal some flowers and take them home to your wife. And you just quickly answered me before and you said, no, I'm not going to do that. And yet I stuck a thought in your mind and I... Uh, at least got you to think about it enough to say no. It was easy for you to say no because you knew the truth and you believed it. You knew it came from me mm-hmm. and you knew it wasn't what you did. Now, if you'd had a fleshly pattern of stealing flowers, I've not run to anybody, into anybody yet who has, but if you did, that might be a lot tougher for you to have resisted because it feels like you. I, get, I have heard of, of you know, shoplifting as being maybe a compulsive thing or, or gambling so it would be harder to resist doing that. Okay. Yeah. I've got a diagram here that, that illustrates this. these uh, three concentric circles and, and I've got a colored pencil I'm going to use to illustrate it too. For instance, you've got your body, you've got your soul here with the mind, emotions, and will, and then you've got your spirit. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that your spirit has been crucified, buried, raised again, and you've been made holy and righteous in union with Christ. So you are in union with Jesus here in your spirit. We also know that God over here, represented by this triangle, is pure and holy himself. 
and God's on your side and he indwells you. But we know that Satan on this other side, represented by this half triangle, because he tries to imitate God, represented by this half triangle in blue, he is your sworn enemy. And his desire is to destroy you. Now, ultimately, we know he cannot destroy you because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And God has secured you forever in him. Mm -hmm. But he wants to try to take as much glory away from God as he can. So he will use the world around you, whatever the world setting might be, might be, you know, obvious immorality would be obvious to, Mm -hmm. to most Christians. But he might use the church setting. He might use your home setting. He might use your job setting, whatever it is, whatever he thinks he can get to push the right buttons in you. Now, the world is not on our side, so I'm going to color it in blue, too. But Satan will use this, what Romans 7 called, sin that indwells you. So I've got it in this little box here in the body, predominantly because it says in the members of our body. And this sin that indwells us, we're going to put in blue, too, because it's kind of like Satan's uh, agent within us. It's not us, but it's in us and it feels like us. So he uses this old indwelling sin and he drops a thought into our mind. Yeah. You know, oh, man, I, I got to make sure I get this perfect. Right. And then the old emotions surface. Maybe he drops a thought in. I'll never measure up to to what God wants me to do. I should put that bumper sticker on my car. Yeah. And then those old emotions start to feel so unworthy, so worthless and so on. And he drops a thought in here. Well, just forget it. I'm not even going to bother following God. And then you have a choice with your will to yield your body as an instrument of unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness could be that you put the bumper sticker on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're doing it not as an act of faith, but to try to prove that you are God's child and you're acceptable. And if you have to prove it, that's an act of unrighteousness because you're not not taking by faith. Right, right. Now, at the same time, though, God's over here. And God oftentimes, of course, will use his word. And in communicating to us through his word, he'll communicate spirit to spirit. Now, it might not be through his word all the time. Maybe it's just spirit, spirit. But it's going to be based on truth from the word. Correct. Yeah. And and then, you know, when that thought comes in, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm no good to God. I'm not a testimony. Mm-hmm. You begin to feel worthless. Then God says, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's the truth about you? Okay. I am the salt of the earth. Right. We are his witnesses. Christ is my life. Right. Now, your emotions aren't going to follow that feeling, that thought, I mean, Mm -hmm. because your emotions are based on what you've experienced in the past and what's going on around you right now. And you've not maybe walked in this long enough for the emotions to catch up to it. But as you begin to walk in truth, your emotions slowly begin to catch up with the truth. Right. But even if they don't, we can still walk in the truth, not because we have to, but because it is the truth and this is who I am. So we, with our will... We can decide, wait a minute, I don't feel this, but I know it's true, and I want to follow God. I want to do what he would say. 
and I'm acceptable whether I do or don't, but I want to do what's right. So I'm going to yield with my will. I'm going to yield my body as an instrument of righteousness. And I can put the bumper sticker on if I want. I can leave the bumper sticker off if I don't want. I can witness in this fashion or I can witness in that fashion. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I don't witness in this particular case because I, I don't feel appropriate with it. and be pushing myself on someone. And uh, so you can be uniquely you in however you share. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to second guess my likes really right. at that point, do I? No, you just, you trust God, like we talked about earlier, to blow the whistle. Yeah. Now, let me read to you Romans chapter 6, 11 to 13, and we'll see if it fits this diagram, okay? okay. <clears throat> it says this, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Now, notice, sin didn't die. Law didn't die. You here in your spirit died by yes. being crucified with right. Christ. You died to this old sin. But not you're no you're not dead any longer, but alive to God. You're now alive to God yeah. in Christ Jesus, all based on Christ. And therefore, based on that, do not let sin, do not let this sin that indwells me, do not let this body of sin that's in me here. Reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. See how it gives it kind of personality? Yeah. Because it feels real. Mm -hmm. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin with your will. Do not present the members of your body to this indwelling sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves with your will. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You see how that fits this diagram? Mm -hmm. You can present yourselves as those alive from the dead, not to the sin that indwells you, but because you are alive from the dead. Not to try to become alive, but simply because it's already true. Again, it's a, a faith. It's receiving. Hey, this is true about me. Right. What do I want to do? But if you live with that law mentality, you're simply going to incite sin. You're going to inflame sin because 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is the law. <clears throat> sin, sin receives its power. This indwelling sin gets its power when you try to control it with law. That's true because we didn't even know what sin was till we had the law. By trying to keep the law, we just do make it, all it grow bigger That's in right. our life. That's right. And yeah. if, you, if you can begin to live out of, wait a minute, who am I? Like that little goat we talked about. Mm -hmm. If that goat could realize, I don't have to try to become a good goat. I am. Therefore, because I am a good goat, how do I want to act? I want to act like a goat. That's who I am. Now, once in a while, he might chase a cat, even though he's a goat. All he has to do then is not beat up on himself, but simply say, oh, wait a minute. I acted after that old programming of mine. Lord, I confess that. Thank you. That's not who I am. So there is a key here of really knowing your flesh. Understanding so your flesh understand does it. help. Yes, it does so help. that you can recognize its insidious forms to uh, not obey it, yeah. to, you know, which would be you know, being in, in living after the flesh. Yeah. It does help to understand your flesh. Right. I don't think it's essential 
to understand every little bit about right. it and go on some witch hunt to try to identify every little thing God will show us. Right. But it does help to understand how this is how my flesh functions. And, uh, and when, when you see that flesh creeping up, the, the obsessiveness, mm-hmm. then you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's my flesh. That's not me. Praise God, it's not me. Lord, I admit I did this, but thank you that it's not me. And when, it's almost like when you end up sinning, you're not happy with it, but you can you can come away rejoicing, saying, thank you, God, it's not me. Right. And I don't mean to say, well, gee, it's great that we sin. Exactly. But we can come away victorious. When we're not in bondage to that. We don't, in other words, have to live in that pattern anymore because that isn't me. Yeah. Whereas before it was me, and I had no choice but to act like yeah. that in my flesh pattern. Yeah. So it gives us a real freedom when we know that's not me. That was that old sin that indwells me. But praise God, I'm free from it. Amen. And, and yet Satan will try to use it and it'll feel like us. That's the truth. 